Welcome to Episode 2 of Express, the podcast for brands. I'm your host, Dr. David Kippen, CEO and Chief Strategist at Aviva. Last week, we talked about what you talk about when you talk about brands. I suggested you think about the brand as more than the logo and the name. We looked at some of the ways the brand, the strategy, consumer insight, and creative come together when a brand's working right, and I gave you an overview of what an evidence-based process is and how it delivers value. Today, we'll look at how you gather that evidence base. My partner, Kate Newsom, our head of insight, that's what we call research here, and the managing director of our Edinburgh office just did a brilliant blog post about it. She couldn't be here in the studio today, so I'm going to play Kate in a little bit and share her thoughts. Again, most of what we cover here will be on our blog at avivabrands.com. That's E-V-V-I-V-A, then the word brands.com. Go there, click on the blogs link, and you'll find the full text along with links out to the examples we share on this and other podcasts. But before I get started, we got a lot of great feedback on our first episode. Thank you for that. And a couple of questions came up in several of your comments. Why don't you have lead in music? And how about some other voices? So I guess there are two main reasons we decided against a lead in tune and the other kinds of high production you'd find on podcasts like This American Life, Startup, Serial, or any of the other podcasts you love. Eviva is a brand agency. We create brands, we reposition brands, we do brand marketing, and of course, we do brand research. We launched Express because we love podcasts, but for us, Express is a brand extension for our blog, and it's aimed at folks who prefer to listen. So Express isn't serial, but so long as it's useful, we're fine with that. But there's another reason, too. These first few episodes are content-heavy, but once we've laid the groundwork for how to think about brands, the plan is to pivot to working with brands in the wild. We'd love to take you with us when we do field work to share what it's like to do street intercepts, to help you see live brands in action. To do that and deliver consistency while doing all the other things an agency needs to get done, we have to keep it simple. So, one mic, a simple sound booth, limited editing, and we're good to go. The other topic, other voices, is quick and easy. Stay tuned. As I said in episode one, I'm your host, so stick with me for now and we'll mix it up soon. Okay, so let's turn to Kate's thoughts on gathering your evidence base. But first, let me introduce her properly. Kate heads our insight team, which means she and her team deliver the insights that Aviva's brands are built from. You'll know a lot more about what that means after this podcast. Her background includes a BA in film from Yale and a master's from NYU focused on anthropology, another master's from the University of Amsterdam, and she's currently in the final stages of her dissertation in clinical psychology, so she knows her stuff. She's worked with leading multinational corporations in energy, financial services, consumer packaged goods, management consulting, and technology, and if that's not all impressive enough, she has settled in six countries and has a working knowledge of six languages. So let's now turn to building the evidence base for your brand and how to do it. In the last podcast, I pointed out that your brand has a job, to make people take selective action. Now, to be credible, to do its job right, your brand's positioning or the promises it makes to the marketplace, that positioning has to be accurate and authentic. This means you have to ask the right questions to uncover its unique selling points. Sure, evidence-based everything is the order of the day, After all, we're living in the age of big data, but an evidence base is fundamental to your brand for the same reason it's fundamental in medicine. Personal beliefs and expectations can prevent us from separating signal from noise. 
Think about it this way. Each of us means many things to many people. Maybe you're a parent, but you're also someone's child. Sometimes you're a friend, but when it's promotion time, maybe you're a rival. If you're a manager, you're both a boss of some and you report to others. Now, unless you're in an incredibly thin slice of the marketplace, your brand probably means different things to different audiences too. Think about it. An investor's view of the success of Apple's iWatch is completely different from a consumer's view. You might not think about whether HP inks are water-soluble, but if you were a beachcomber who found loads of them washing ashore around the UK, you'd likely have a point of view. And whether you think more staffing cuts at Yahoo are a good idea or not, well, that probably depends on whether you're an employee or an investor, but if you rely on Yahoo mainly for news and mail, you probably don't care. For marketers, all of these points of view are important. Some are long-term propositions, like the iWatch. Some are short-term, the layoffs. Some are unplanned, the cartridges, but they're each part of the impressions that shape how people think about your brand. So mixing the right balance of notes from each of your brand's equities is your recipe for brand success. How do you get the mix right? First, you have to gather the ingredients. Chances are your company has reams of data, like employee engagement surveys, customer satisfaction surveys, behavioral analytic reports, net promoter scores, and on and on. And if you're lucky, you've also got quant-focused analysts eager to make use of it. These are a great place to start, and they're helpful when you need to validate your positioning later on. But data's only insight with context. So there are also four essential questions you'll need to answer on the qualitative side. The first is who. Who are your brand's stakeholders? Second question is where. Where are key brand encounters happening? Questions three and four are how and why. How are brands grouped into consideration sets? And why do people make their selections? Simple, right? Well, they are. And they'll help you focus your efforts on the right targets and ensure you're asking the right questions to get the balance right. Let's start with number one, who. Who are your brand stakeholders? In this step, you'll want to identify all the categories of relationships your brand has and all the people who are invested in your brand or who should be. Imagine a long list of people, relationships, and touch points, that is, places people interact with a brand experience. Now, we're talking about stakeholders, but we could talk about audiences here instead. We prefer stakeholders both because you want to take account of your executive team's beliefs and views, and more importantly, because every great brand is in dialogue. It's not a monologue. So stakeholders imply conversation. Also think about regulators. Representatives of the communities where your organization operates, suppliers, investors, financial analysts, especially if your company is a startup, trade union organizers, even academics and programs that provide your company with critical research or new hires. Once you have them listed and grouped, ask yourself, what does each one ask for when he walks through the door? How does that ask change over time? Now, depending on how big and complex your list is, you may want to create a chart to document common thread among your stakeholders, as well as their behavior patterns or profiles, to categorize each stakeholder relationship. Wherever you find you're drawing a blank, you'll know, I need more information. Later, you can come back to this to, to develop your message hierarchy and your social media strategy. For the next question, question two, about where your key brand encounters happen, you'll want to understand where are the critical conversations about your brand taking place? What are the key touch points in your brand experience? 
Locating these critical points is important for a couple of reasons. It tells you exactly where you need to go to observe and assess your brand in action, and then, as you get into brand expression, it helps you focus your brand work at the best time and place to make the greatest impact. There are a lot of ways to do this, and not all of them will work for every brand, but here are a few general activities that can help you get started. First, map the brand journey of a member of each stakeholder group, whether she's an employee, a customer, an investor, whatever. Ask yourself, how did she first encounter your brand? What was the uptake process? How long did the engagement last? Why did she or he eventually leave? And for your brand loyalists, why did they stay when things get bumpy? You won't know the answer to most of these questions, so you'll want to go to field for this, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Another helpful process is to document a day in the life of current customers, users, and employees. This will give you a vital insight into where impressions are being formed and where you need to add care to the mix. In some cases, brand touch points are physical or virtual spaces. The most obvious are points of entry, landing pages, lobbies, places where I walk into the brand. If you're a B2C company, for example, you've probably addressed your customer-facing touch points. But if you're a B2B brand, you may not think investing in your lobby would have a positive bottom line impact. If so, your lobby probably resembles a dental practice from the early 1990s. And you may no longer notice, but what does your client think when she walks in for an appointment? How does the employee who receives her react? By immediately making excuses? And your employees have a defining brand experience each day as they enter and exit from work. What are the visual and verbal messages that greet her? Do they invoke the company's values, the employer brand promise? Are they an employee-directed expression of the service promise the company makes to its customers, or are they a reminder not to steal from the cafeteria? We've seen both. Meanwhile, how's your online lobby, the landing page of your corporate website? Being highly regulated is no excuse for a landing page full of tedious, tiny text, stock photos, or worse yet, bits of the staff photo shoot from 10 years ago. Yeah, I'm looking at you, global law firms and accountancies of all kinds. Of course, your brand delivers many more online brand touch points than your corporate and careers pages. Some you can control, some you can influence only indirectly, and you can get lost in the weeds documenting these connections. So you'll want to prioritize the touch points that matter most. Start by considering your brand experience through the lens of a traditional purchase funnel. This can help locate where transactions take place, and it'll help you to spot how your brand messages should change from stage to stage. For example, if you're Schlumberger, the oil field supply company, your buyers already have high awareness, so you'll focus on how you stack up in the consideration, preference, and purchase stages of your funnel. But if your brand is a B2B startup, like Slack, even though word of mouth may be brilliant, you'll eventually spend heavily on general marketing to create awareness, in their case, about a million dollars a month. In this scenario, you'll likely focus on the discrete groups that enter the top of the funnel, the awareness side, the bottom, the purchase side, and the ratios between them by audience. Okay, so let's talk about three and four, how and why. How are your stakeholders creating their consideration sets? These are the groups of brands they see your brand fitting in with. So, for example, BMW, Mercedes, Tesla, and Lexus all might fit into a consideration set called luxury cars. And why are they selecting your brand? Remember, brands exist to make people take selective action. So, exactly, exactly, why does your target buyer select Lexus 
over Tesla. You'll almost certainly be surprised by the depth and range of information that comes back. You're likely to discover a parallel need for strategic realignment or retraining, as well as other small structural changes to resolve location-specific challenges. These surprises aren't a problem. They're an added bonus of brand insight work, and they'll make your organization stronger. Having followed these steps, you should now know exactly who's invested in your brand, or should be, and where those critical conversations and brand encounters are taking place. You should also have created a handy chart of stakeholder profiles, a heat map of conversations in the physical and virtual worlds, and you'll have meaningful observations about the current, lived experience of your brand through strategic site visits and conversations with key participants. So at this point, your brand laboratory is stocked and you have all the ingredients you need to develop an authentic, accurate brand position built around your key equities and differentiators, as well as a strong understanding of what makes people take selective action at each stage of the purchase or employment funnel. This is where the brand strategists step in and the brand alchemy begins. So tune in next week and we'll take it from here. Thanks a lot for listening to Express. Again, we want this to be useful, so whether you love it, hate it, whatever, give us the gift of feedback at express at avivabrands.com. That's E-V-V-I-V-A, then the word brands.com.